section sixty seven of greece and rome this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the world's story volume four greece and rome edited by eva march tappan section sixty seven why ovid was banished ten a d by maurice baring this is an imaginary letter purporting to have been written in rome in the days of virgil and horace the old question why the poet ovid was suddenly banished from rome to a land of barbarians is here answered by the suggestion that he criticized the verses of the emperor the editor my work or rather the business which called me to rome is now accomplished and the caryatids which i was commissioned to make for the pantheon of agrippa are now in their place but in what a place alas they have been set up so high that their whole effect is lost and the work might just as well be that of any roman bungler the romans are indeed barbarians they consider that as long as a thing is big and expensive it is beautiful they take luxury for comfort notoriety for fame eccentricity for genius and riches for wisdom or rather they deem that wealth is the only thing that counts in the modern world and here at rome this is true their attempts at art are in the highest degree ludicrous yesterday i visited the studio of ludius who is renowned in this city for his decorative work he paints walls and ceilings and the emperor has employed him to decorate his villa at naples his work which is not devoid of a certain talent is disciplined by no sense of proportion it would not be tolerated in greece for a moment owing to an extravagance and an exaggeration which so far from displaying any originality merely form the feudal mask of a fundamental banality the man himself wears his hair yards long like a persian and favours a pea-green toga i could not help saying to him that in greece artists took pains to dress like everybody but to paint like no one last night i supped with Messinus at his house on the esquiline let me do justice to my host and give praise where praise is due here are no jarring notes and no foolish display Messinus has exquisite taste his house is not overcrowded with ornaments or overwhelmed by useless decoration by a cunning instinct he has realized that art should be the servant of necessity everything in his house has a use and a purpose but where a vase a bowl a cup a chair or seat is needed 
there you will find a beautiful vase a beautiful bowl and so forth Mecenas himself is bald genial and cultivated he looks older than he is and dresses with a very slight affectation of coxcombry his manner is a triumph of the art which conceals art he talks to you as though you were the one person in the world he had been anxious to see and as if the topic you were discussing were the preponderating interest of his life as i entered his hall i found him pacing up and down in eager conversation with agrippa the famous admiral my ears are sharp and i just caught a fragment of their conversation which happened to concern the new drains of rome yet as Mecenas approached me he greeted me with effusion and turning to agrippa he said ah here he is as if their whole talk had been of me we reclined almost immediately the fare was delicious and distinguished by the same supreme simplicity and excellence as the architecture and the ornamentation of his dwelling there were many celebrities present besides agrippa ludius the painter most grotesquely clothed several officials and politicians cinna grophus three minor poets horatius flaxus propertius and crassus ovidius naso the fashionable writer virgilius the poet and many young men whose names escape me naso is by far the most prominent figure in the roman literary world at present he is the arbiter of taste and sets the criterion of what is to be admired or not heaven forbid that i should read his verse but there is no doubt about the flavour of his conversation which is more interesting than his work the literary world despises virgilius the only roman poet living worthy of the name on the other hand they admire this crassus who writes perfectly unintelligible odes about topics barren of interest he has invented a novel style of writing which is called symbolism it consists of doing this if you are writing about a tree and the tree seemed to you to have the shape of an elephant you call it an elephant hence a certain chaos is produced in the mind of the reader which these young men seem to find delectable if you mention virgilius to them they say if he only knew how to write his ideas are good but he has no sense of form no ear for melody and no power of expression this of course is ridiculous for although virgilius is a writer who has no originality his style is felicitous delicate and lofty and often musical in fact he writes really well with regard to the other poets they are of little or no account horatius flaxus has a happy knack of translation propertius writes amiable sentimental stuff entibulus babbles of pastures but they are all of them decadent in that they none of them have anything to say 
and they either display a false simplicity and a false archaism or else they are slavishly imitative or hopelessly obscure at first the conversation turned on naval matters it was debated at some length whether the romans needed a fleet at all and if they did whether it should be a small fleet composed of huge triremes or a large fleet of smaller and swifter vessels agrippa who has the great advantage of practical experience in naval warfare was in favour of the latter type of vessel but another sailor a friend of cinna's who was present and who was also experienced said that the day of small vessels was over the conversation then veered to literary matters ovidius a little man with twinkling eyes carefully curled hair and elaborately elegant clothes he has his linen washed at athens excelled himself in affable courtesy and compliment to crassus whom he had never met hitherto he had always been so anxious he said to meet the author of odes that were so interesting although they were to him a little difficult i'm afraid you must be deeply disappointed said crassus blushing he is a shy overgrown youth with an immense tuft of tangled hair and a desperately earnest face no said ovidius i am never disappointed in men of letters i always think they are the most charming people in the world it is their works which i find so disappointing everybody writes too much he continued and what is worse still everybody writes even the dear emperor writes hexameters they do not always scan but they are hexameters for all that it has even been hinted that he has written a tragedy of course it doesn't matter how much verse a young man writes as long as he burns it all but our dear master's hexameters are preserved by the empress she told me herself with pride that she often mends his verses for him and they need mending sadly because so many stitches in them are dropped but how delightful it is to have a literary emperor he was good enough to ask me to read him a little poetry the other day i did so i chose the passage from the iliad where hector says farewell to andromache he said it was very fine but a little old-fashioned i then recited an ode of sappho's perhaps the loveliest of all of them he seemed to enjoy it but said that it was not nearly as good as the original and that he preferred that kind of song when it was set to music what the original might be to which he alluded i did not ask as i have always held that a monarch's business is to have a superficial knowledge of everything but a thorough knowledge of nothing and therefore i say it is an excellent thing virgilius that our dear emperor is aware that you and crassus and myself all write verse it would be in the highest degree undesirable that he should know so much about the business as to command you to write verses of society and myself to write a georgic 
but you will say he is a poet himself and the empress mends his verses it is true she mends his verses but she also mends his socks and a sensible monarch no more bothers to write his own verse than he bothers to make his own socks or else what would be the use of being a monarch but again you will object if they are written for him why don't they scan the answer is simple the man who makes them knows his business and he knows that if they did scan nobody would believe that our dear master had written them and in having his verse written for him by a professional and a bad professional i hope horatius it is not you by the way the emperor displays not only sense but a rare wisdom for a gentleman should never bother to acquire technical skill if he loves music let him hire professional flute-players but do not let him waste his time in practising ineffectual scales and if he wants poetry let him order a virgilius an epic and if he wishes to pose as a literary monarch let him employ our friend horatius to write him a few verses without sense or scansion although i am afraid horatius would find this difficult you are too correct horatius that is your fault and mine we write verse so correctly that i sometimes think that in the far distant future when the barbarians shall have conquered us we shall be held up as models somewhere in scythia or thule by pedagogues to the barbarian children of future generations horrible thought when rome falls may our language and our literature perish with us may we be utterly forgotten my verse at least shall escape the pedagogues for it is licentious and yours crassus i fear they will scarcely understand across the centuries but o virgilius the spirit of your poetry so noble and so pure is the very thing to be turned into a bed of procrustes for little dacians you are unfair to the emperor said virgilius he has excellent taste in poets certainly said ovidius but not in poetry the conversation then turned to other topics the games the new drains the theatre of balbus the naumachia and the debated question whether the emperor was right in having caused vettius polio's crystal beakers to be broken because the latter had condemned a slave who had accidentally dropped one of them to be thrown into his pond of lampreys and eaten the sentence would have been carried out had not the emperor interfered and caused the slave to be released horatius said that vettius polio deserved to be eaten by lampreys himself but ovidius and ludius considered the punishment to be out of all proportion to the crime agrippa could not understand his minding the goblet being broken as there were plenty of goblets in the world cinna said that the slave was his own Messenus considered that although it was a reprehensible act and such deeds created dangerous precedents nobody but a collector knew how terribly severe the provocation was we sat talking till late in the night i cannot write any more but i have just heard a piece of startling news ovidius naso had been banished for life 
to some barbarous spot near taurus the reason of his disgrace is unknown hail end of section sixty seven this recording is in the public domain